0: Going to work out. That's right. All right. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. You say you make it seem like it's just everything God, God, God. You know, that's really all that there is. <laughs> he created us. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. He created this whole thing. He's in charge of this whole thing and He's going to wind this whole thing up. And you want to be on his side when it does wind up. And if the money is gone, you'll be okay if you got him. And if the crowds are gone, you'll be okay if you got him. And I'm going to say something that's going to make some of you mad. And if your family is gone, you'll be okay if you got him. And if your freedoms are gone, you'll be okay if you got him. And if everything in this world that you love is gone, you'll be okay if you got him. And if you don't have him, it's not going to turn out right. I don't care if you've got every single thing on that list. All right, Genesis 22, let's begin reading in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. God tempted Abraham. Let me tell you about our Lord. He will test you. When somebody has this uh, overly effeminate, what we used to call when I was a kid, mamby-pamby picture of God, I knew they hadn't dealt with him much. Amen. But don't get me wrong, the <laughs> Lord loves us. The Lord loves us and everything he does for us will be good for us long-term. But it is not always nice. <laughs> he will put a blister on you. Don't ask me how I know. And sure enough, here's Abraham the friend of God mm-hmm. and God tempts him mm-hmm. verse 2 and he said take now thy son thine only son Isaac whom thou lovest and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Notice that word worship. The first uh, appearance of it in the word of God. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, Out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. If you want to make typology, I realize it's a different dispensation, but if you want to make typology, Abraham was already saved at this point. He had already believed God, and God counted him for righteousness. But at this point, what's being tested is Abraham's, what we would call in the New Testament, discipleship. Your salvation is free. It's just a gift. The only part you have in salvation is receiving it. But discipleship is something else. Amen, that's true. It might cost you everything you got. Mm-hmm. And it almost surely will cost you something you love very dearly. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just saved, you have to be willing to give mm-hmm. up something you love and maybe everything you've got. Two different topics. I don't want anybody to think you have to work for any of your salvation, but you've got to give up everything to be a disciple. And that's what Abraham is being tested for. You say, well, forget it. I don't want to give up something I love that much. Yeah, but did you receive, did you read the blessing that he receives for giving everything up to the Lord? Yep. Let me tell you something. It's a good trade. Yeah. It's worth everything. Amen. All right, but the main thing I want to talk about today is the first mention of the word worship. I want to ask today the question, what is worship? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to read and study your word and Lord, we think of that song that was played, I I think it was in the offertory, and the words came to my mind, come quickly and abide, or life is vain. And Lord, there are more and more Americans finding out as they have a thousand distractions and a thousand entertainments and a thousand things that they're trying, trying to get some, some satisfaction trying to get some entertainment, trying to get some fun, trying to get some joy out of life, and nothing's bringing any lasting joy, dear God, because they realize that without you, or it should be because they realize that without you, life is vain. Amen. Lord, I pray that we'd see the importance of worship and the vanity of really everything else. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to say this morning that this first mention of the word worship in the Bible Defines it biblically. I looked it up in a dictionary to make sure I understood it. It says uh, the reverent love and devotion accorded a deity. Now somebody said that middle class America has her priorities wrong. Uh, They said that she worships her work, works at her play, and plays at her worship. I think that's got a lot of truth to it. She worships her work, Works at her play, and plays at her worship. Number one in our lives is our work because that's where the money comes in. That's real. Number two is our play because that's where we finally have some fun. Number three, worship, if that you know if that fits in. Do I paint a correct picture or do I? Oh <laughs> yeah, That is middle class America, and more and more. That's the Bible believing Baptists in middle class America. It ought not be that way. Um, when you miss your Bible reading and prayer time, where you and the Lord get together and you worship Him, think about, now, wait a minute, this thing that I'm missing worshiping God for, but I miss work for this. Mm-hmm. To a lesser degree, for you miss church, think, wait a minute, this thing I'm missing church for, but I miss work for it? Now I know they're not exactly the same. they're not under the same <clears> rules it's not a perfect analogy. But that is one thing that will give you a pretty good indication, not perfect, but a decent indication, as to whether or not you ought to miss a chance to worship God. And uh, if, buddy, wait a minute now, where the money's made, now that's real, is way more important to you than worshiping God, something's got a wrong priority. Now again, I know there's an exception. I'm not trying to claim that it's a perfect analogy in every case. But it's a good indication. It at least gets you in the ballpark. Now, one principle of hermeneutics or interpretation is the law of first mention. And this uh, first mention of worship is is very important. And we learned several specifics of ideal worship here. So let's go through them uh, this morning. All right, the first thing I see in this first mention of the word worship is uh, listening. Listening. You know why a lot of people aren't worshiping God in our day? They're not listening. Amen. God is speaking every day. Every day, when you step out and see a tree, God is speaking in it. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not a. not uh, am not a tree hugger. I'm not an environmentalist. I know that one of these days, God is going to burn this thing up yes. and, and create it better. And I'm. And I'm not only okay with that. I'm excited about that. <laughs> but until He chooses to do so, this is the nature that He gives us. And I can learn from it. Yes. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament work, uh, showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language. Where their voice is not heard. Right? You see that sun come up. You think of God. You see the sun go down and the moon and the stars come out, you think of God. You see a tree come up, you see the flowers blooming in springtime which we're in right now, you think of God. When you see fall come and the leaves start to die and the beautiful snows in winter, you think of God. You know why? Because that's how he uh, reveals himself to us to a certain degree. But especially he does through scripture. We're in a place where we get more preaching than about any place in the world. Down here in the Bible Belt of the United States of America. I'm afraid sometimes there's almost a a disadvantage to that in that we get so used to it we're not even listening anymore. Here's, uh, Here's Moses and he sees a bush and he turns aside to see why that bush is burning but won't burn up. And the Bible says, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, then he spoke to him. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look on God. I wonder how many of us even know when God shows up and tries to say something to us. Moses, who as far as I know wasn't exactly in a great relationship with the Lord because he had you know, killed the, killed the Egyptian and lost his chance by trying it probably too early, and not much mention of Moses in the Lord for those 40 years. But when God showed up, Moses knew him. And here, the Lord says, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. Uh, Abraham was listening. Hey, listen, are you listening? <laughs> you know what I bet some of us have done? I know some of us have the Lord, through our conscience and conviction of the Holy Spirit, said, you ought not to be looking at that. And we kept suppressing that. Until we've hardened our heart and seared our conscience, and He he quit talking. Or, we're not listening. He said, you ought not to be listening to that. You ought to be hanging out with them. You ought to be involved in that. And we just quit listening. (laughs) Step number one in worship is listening. There are people that sit on pews in Baptist churches trying to preach a Bible, and they're not listening. They're missing everything that's being said. Their mind is on what's for dinner. Their mind is on who's playing the ball game. Their mind is on where we're going shopping for something right after church. Their mind is on can I get my nap? Their mind is on whatever. And they're not listening. Now, here's the problem with listening it can be refused. Jeremiah 13 says, This evil people, which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart, and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. Refusing to hear God's words leaves you, at least in his estimation, good for nothing. Amen. You know what you'll be tempted to worship instead of God? You'll be tempted to worship something you made up. Isaiah 2, their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. A lot of people go to church and they can get bragged on for something they do. Sing a song or teach a class or preach a sermon or shake a hand or make a business deal or Whatever they're not there to worship god and the first step of worshiping is listening. first thing i notice about listening as i think about it for a minute there is it can be refused i'll tell you another thing sometimes you don't refuse to you're just too busy to you just don't think of it in other words it's not only refused. sometimes it's neglected let's see if i can read this passage from the gospel of mark here Mark chapter 4. Mark 4, verse 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. All right, they hear it. Verse 19. And the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Look out, Christian you'll get so worried about something that the word of God won't even bear any fruit in you. Amen. And don't get me wrong, sometimes it's a legitimate thing. Uh, my heart is broken over the direction that our country is going. Yes. Uh, it breaks my heart to think of the things that the Virginia Baptist got us here in this country and the way we just don't have any use for them anymore. Amen. breaks my heart, frustrates me. But you know what? I could sit around and worry about political stuff and the loss of our freedoms and all that, so I wouldn't do anything for God. Mm-hmm. And I could just start a new ministry. Constitution.com. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Ain't nobody worried about the Constitution no more. And if you did want to get them concerned with the Constitution, you know what you'd have to do? You'd have to get their hearts right with God. Amen. That uh, Statute for Religious Freedom in Virginia They tried that one time, and it was overwhelmingly voted down. They tried it ten years later, and it was overwhelmingly received. What was the difference in that ten-year span? A bunch of separate Baptists out there preaching the gospel, and a bunch of people getting saved, and a bunch of Baptist churches getting planted. And then, when they brought it up, all of a sudden, everybody was for freedom. You want freedoms back in this country? Let me tell you what'll work. Get some people saved! Listening can be refused. It can be neglected. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things. And next thing you know, you're not listening. And you didn't mean to disregard God. You you weren't trying to be disrespectful. You just had your mind full of a bunch of other junk. Let me tell you what we have in our day. We got minds full of a bunch of other junk. What's the stock market doing? What's my ball team doing? What's my sweetheart doing? What's my idol up there in the entertainment world doing? What is going on? Listening, all right? Number two, and this might be the most important point of any of them. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Step number one of worship is listening. Step number two is love. What a man loves and what he hates and what he fears will pretty much tell you who that man is. And when God got ready to tempt Abraham test him, he said, I'm going to test him in his son Isaac because I know he loves his son. The Bible talks a lot about love. If I remember correctly, this is the first mention of love too. What an important chapter this is. The first mention of worship and the first mention of love. The Bible says the greatest of these is charity. Faith, hope, charity the greatest of these is charity. The greatest thing is love. is charity. The first and greatest commandment and the second are commandments about what? Love. Somebody said affection determines your decisions, and your decisions determine your destinies. Hey, I want to ask you today, what do you love? You love your ball team? You love your sleep? You love your money? You love your family? You love What is it you love? That will determine the decisions that you make, and the decisions you make will determine your destiny. The Bible tells you what not to love. It says love not sleep. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It talks about those who love pleasure. It says love not the world. When the Lord Jesus Christ is getting Peter back right, you know what he says? He says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me. He didn't say, all right, I told you he was going to deny me. All right, are you over that denying thing now? He went right straight to the heart of the matter. Mm -hmm. Lovest thou me? Demas, in 2 Timothy, what it says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Mm -hmm. You know where you'll leave the Lord? This present world. Mm -hmm. There are very few Christians backsliding on God over a worldly song from the big band era. Because that was a hundred years ago (laughs) or something like that. But the singers that are big time right now, this present world, that's the one that will get you. Amen. Amen. The Ephesian church, there in Revelation chapter 2, he brags on Ephesus and brags on them and brags on them and said I know your works and your labor and your patience and you have not fainted and you found those that said they're apostles and tried them said they're apostles or not and has found them liars I mean he brags and brags and brags and says but I'm fixing to remove your candlestick and you can't even be a church anymore after all those good things he said about them what in the world can a church that God himself bragged on in five or six particulars possibly have so wrong that he's about to Wipe them out. He said, you have left your first love. That's right. As good as all those other things were, it's more important to him that you keep your first love than as you do all those other right things. That tells me love is pretty important to God. And by the way, if you don't love him, you probably ain't going to be doing those things, those other things either. But some people with a remarkably strong willpower will do them, And God will see you don't really love them, you don't really mean them. God can sit down there and read your motives, and he can tell. And you know, a lot of times people really can too. People have intuition. And even if you don't slap their face and you don't exactly scream at them and call them names, they can sense your anger and your dislike of them. Called intuition. We often talk about women having it, and Lord knows they exercise it way better than men do. But they have actually done studies, you know, where they told the man, they said, All right, now I want you to notice. Don't just listen to their words, look at their facial expressions, listen to their tone of voice, watch their body language. And when they told the men ahead of time to be watching for those things, they actually did just as good as the women. They just don't automatically do it. My point is this you can tell when somebody's faking it if you put a little effort into it yeah. that's my point point. and you know what the lord wants he wants it to be real amen if men and women in studies especially when you know the clueless men had to be told ahead of time to look for it but if we can tell it how much more can god tell it So, love is also uh, explained with the good old English word. It's not old English, but good old English word. (laughs) Good old uh, English word. Charity implies giving. If you love somebody, you want to give to them. You remember when you had a friend? Even when you were a child, didn't you want to give something to them? Remember when you had a, a sweetheart? Even when you were a child, didn't you want to give something to them? You feel good giving. Occasionally, my children will bless me and thank me for something I did for them. And I always think to myself, well, that's what I'm here for. They say, well, yeah, that cost a lot. I said, well, that's what that money is for. It is for you. I'm happy to do it. When you love somebody, you want to give them things. It implies giving. That's the modern meaning of the word charity. It's giving. Furthermore, it's a great motivator to obedience. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And we've often preached how everybody talks about inward versus outward. Well, inward shows through outward and vice versa. We've talked about how, you know, Christianity is not rules but a relationship. Yeah, but the two go together. Amen. If ye love me, there's your relationship. Keep my commandments. There's your rules. You you don't tell me you love somebody and then purposely break all their rules. You don't do such a stupid thing. Whenever you love somebody, you do the best you can to do things not to offend them. That's correct. Somebody that's important to you. Love. So number one in worship is listening. Number two in worship is love. Number three in worship, I've already uh, mentioned it just a little bit, is obedience. Obedience. Verse 3 said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the bread. In other words, he just got up and did it. Now this would have been the perfect time to say, Okay, now wait a minute, Lord. (laughs) What are you telling me to do? Remember that promise about how everything's going to come through Isaac and I mean obviously I can't kill him. I must have misunderstood. Let's talk. The Lord wanted him to obey. And he did. Let me tell you what worship is. Worship is obeying. Now, obeying means planning. You have to have a plan in place or you won't do it. I don't know how many times I've half-heartedly decided I might do something Saturday and didn't get everything ready to do it, so I ended up not doing it. (laughs) But boy, if I meant business about doing doing it, the clothes was laid out, the preparation was made, I'd already pulled out some cash from the bank because I knew I'd need it, I was ready to... When you mean business about obeying, you plan ahead of time for it. You know how many people aren't in churches this morning? Because they kind of meant to go, but They didn't make sure the clothes was washed and the baths were done and everything because they didn't really mean business about it. Obedience implies preparation. Hey, this this was going to take a few days. So when Abraham was told to do it, you know what he did? Rose up early in the morning, took two of his young men with him, claimed the wood for the burnt offering, started a big long trip. He made some preparation. You do not mean business about obeying if you don't put some Preparation in it ahead of time. Obedience sure. needs that. Amen. Planning, uh, work, hard work, Clave the wood. Um, if you're going to build an altar and you're going to build a fire, you're going to need you know more than two or three sticks. And I don't know how much you might have dealt with a wood splitter and an axe. I haven't a whole lot, but I have some. Uh, that's some work. You will be a little bit out of breath if you're, cle- uh, if you're cl- cleaving the wood for this job. It's work. Uh, if you're all wore out after a day at work, oh, you just can't even get up. Uh, you, you're not excited about the van. One time I was... Uh, at my house and I was wore out and I would worked a hard day and I was all tired out and somebody said come in here I said oh I'm just too tired I'm too tired to even raise up and all of a sudden they said oh wait look hey there's a special on Tennessee football in here boy I was up and I was pulling my britches up and running down the hallway <laughs> what happened in that five second interval something I was interested in came up and all of a sudden I had all the energy in the world for it <laughs> you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you're excited about worshiping him you will be tired sometimes but you will have a different motivation for that which you love I'll tell you something else Uh, it will take some sustained attention it won't be something you do once and then you're done with it Uh, Abraham had to do this and he had to keep doing this it says he rose up and went unto the place which God had told him and on the third day he lifted up his eyes that means one whole day, and then a second whole day, and then part of the third day before he got there. You know how many people would say, "Well, wait a minute! I didn't realize we was going more than two days." You know what a lot of Christians do? They give out. Yeah. Oh yeah, they run out of moral wind. Yeah. Now they was all serious. Now, oh man, they were serious enough to saddle the donkey. They was serious enough to split some wood. But now you mean I will still be dealing with this tomorrow and I will still be dealing with it the next day? Let me tell you about discipleship. It is till you die. Amen. (laughs) It isn't as long as the money keeps flowing. It isn't as long as your country stays free. It isn't as long as the family all loves each other. It is until you die. You know why? Because Jesus went all the way till he died I'm going to go all the way till I die for him if I'm going to be his disciple. Now again, we're not talking about your salvation. Salvation is a free gift. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You want salvation? Just receive it. God's offering it. You want discipleship? It's liable to cost you everything you got. But the blessing is well worth it. Alright, uh, so it's listening, it's love, it's obedience. I'll tell you something else, it's personal. Now a lot of times we talk about worship, we talk about our worship services at our church. And I hope that Victory Baptist Church is a blessing and a help to you in your worshiping of the Lord. I do think it can be a blessing, I really do. But let me tell you where your main worship comes. It comes between you and Jesus Christ in your personal relationship with you. Yes. Amen. I'm not giving anybody excuse to sit out of church. I'm against people sitting out of church. But having said that, far more important than whether or not you're sitting in the church pew is whether or not you go to the Lord Jesus, yes. set all your distractions aside, and you and Him talk. Yes. And he talks to you in the Bible and you talk to Him in prayer. Yes. That is a good bit more important than whether or not you sit in the pews in yes. Victory Baptist Church. Yes. It must be done alone. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, and in a preferably large group at church. (laughs) In spirit and in truth. It's a spiritual thing. Um, At the very least, it is apart from the crowd. Exodus 24. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. There's the second mention of it. If you're going to worship God, you are going to come out from the crowd. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. will be a father unto you. Uh, Revelation chapter 13. And all that dwell upon the earth shall, what, worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Alright, it's a, a lot away from the crowd. And in the kingdom age, it says this, it says, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. Wow. Isn't that going to be a wonderful thing to see one day? Amen. God Almighty in His proper place, the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. on the throne Amen. of David in Jerusalem and all the nations in agreement. Right. Boy, we won't have the factions that we have now when King Jesus comes to live with us again. Psalm twenty-two, 27. I'm sorry, Isaiah 66. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh... Come to worship before me, saith the Lord. So, it's personal. It's you coming apart from the crowd. But it's to one God alone. You don't worship God, the God of the Bible, and Allah, and Molech, and Baal. You worship one God. Yes. The Bible teaches a monotheism, doesn't it? It's to one God alone. Revelation chapter 19. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I'll tell you something, a man doesn't want anything to do with worship if he is a man that is anywhere close to God. If if you're familiar with God at all, the idea of somebody worshiping you makes you sick. Yes. I heard it told that uh, a man who had tried to minister to a family and been a blessing to them, that uh, in this particular religion, they bowed down at his feet. And began to worship Him. That is not a man that is familiar with the Lord, is it? Amen. That's not a man familiar with the Bible. In the book of Revelation, he says, Don't worship me, you worship God. Amen. That's, that's what worship is intended for. I know this, though. I know somebody that does want worship other than God. Amen. Matthew 4, 8, again, The devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, And showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. The devil wants worship so bad, he'll give you the whole world if he can get you to worship him. Amen. Now, that was with the Lord Jesus, with us, probably more like he would trick us into thinking we'd get some great things from the world. Oh, victory. Oh, young people especially, don't fall for that trick of the devil. Now, he might, have, he might have been willing to make that trade for Jesus, but that old deceiver will promise you, he'll say, oh, if you'll get this love, oh, it'll be the best love you ever imagined. <laughs> and then you'll do what he wants you to do, and guess what? You don't even get any love. <laughs> he is a great deceiver. Oh, if you'll do this, it'll be so much fun. You'll be so happy. And then you do it. Sell your soul, so to speak. And you don't even get any happiness or joy or fun out of it. The devil is a great deceiver. But I will say this, more in line with the message this morning. He does want worship. And he'll trick, he'll deal, he'll do whatever it takes to get worship. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. When you start worshiping the wrong thing just because it's popular, you get yourself in bad trouble. You are dealing with the spirit of Antichrist. Here's uh, the tribulation period. Revelation 14 verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, I can hear the people complaining right now, but you don't understand. In the tribulation period, we've got to worship him in order to get that mark so that we can even buy our sell. We have to. It's what everybody's doing. You don't understand. It doesn't matter if everybody's doing it. It doesn't matter if you can't buy our sell. You don't worship anybody but God. That's right. Amen. You say, but what if I die? You'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Dying is not so bad. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Yeah, it's far better to die than it is to worship anything other than God. It's far better to die than to live in under any circumstances if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I admit that puts it back into our dispensation, and the, pa- the, pa- the passage I just read is in the tribulation period. I understand there's a bit of a difference there, but my point is. Dying is not the end of the world. <laughs> Dying is the beginning of the best time you've ever had that will last forever and ever. Amen. Fear of death will bring a snare upon you. So it's greatly punished. Alright? Uh, I'll tell you something else about how personal this is. This uh, personal worship, you know that the Lord is going to do something. Uh, Back in our text, Genesis chapter 22. Back in Genesis chapter 22. He says at the end of verse 5, he says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. He knew the Lord was going to do something. He said, now God Almighty has told me to do this. And so I, I know this. I personally am guaranteed I'm coming back. And I'm coming back with somebody with me. Which leads me to the next point, which is worship is believing. Amen, that's good. He believed what God had said. He completely believed God. And we know that because of common sense, because he tells the uh, young men that him and Isaac will be back here in a minute, and he knows he's going up there to kill him. So he knows the only thing that we can assume is he knows God's going to step in and do something. And Hebrews 11 comes right out and says that. Here's Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 11. Let's see, verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Uh, If you worship God the way you should let me tell you what you do you believe him. I'm not talking about your salvation I'm assuming I'm talking to save people I'm talking about you believe he still has a plan for your life you believe there's some things you're supposed to be busy in and you get busy with them why? because you're so strong and good you're such a great man or a great woman you just do great things no because you believe God it's completely <laughs> believing God and believing the Bible believing the Word of God. Acts 24, 14 But this I confess unto thee that after the way which they call heresy so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. You know why a lot of worship services in a lot of churches are pretty dead and they don't have any power and they don't change anybody's lives? Because there's a bunch of people sitting in the pews that don't believe the book.
1: Amen. Paul
0: said, I worship God believing all things that are written in if you'll worship God believe in this book, it'll have some more power and it'll be lasting with you decades later. Amen. One of the things that broke my heart as I grew up in Bible-believing Baptist churches was that 10 or 15 years later, I'd see people and they'd quit on God. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. Oh, the Lord knows I'm ashamed to say I've I failed the Lord. I sin. I sin every day. I disappoint Him. I disappoint myself. But I still want to worship God. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about just dropping out. Believing. Believing God. Believing the Bible. Here's Here's a part of worship that's not real popular to talk about in our day. Look at our text. Genesis 22, verse 12. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Part of worship is fear. Fear of God is a Bible doctrine. Yes, it is. Now, you should not emphasize it to the point that you think that's all of God's nature, but it is a significant part of it, isn't it? (laughs) Few things will keep you out of trouble like fear of God. Amen. And few things will guarantee your total depravity like a lack of a fear of God. If you think I was going to do what I want, God isn't seeing this. God couldn't care less what I do. God isn't real. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The Bible warns about people, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You don't know what you'll do without fear of God. In the early days of this country, they wanted people writing their laws and ruling over them, or at least in positions of some political power, who believed in God. Yes, right. You know right. why? The last thing you want is somebody ruling over you that thinks they're their own boss. Yes. They'll do to you whatever they feel like doing, and they got the power to do it. We have a a little saying in our culture when they say, well, "Why in the world did you do that?" And they say, "Because I can." Oh, there's somebody that does not fear God. You ought to be scared to do some things. If the only thing that decides what you do is whether or not you can, you got somebody you don't know what they might be capable of. It'd be a horrible thing and a scary thing. Psalm five seven. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. It's not biblical worship if it's not included, if it does not include fear. And this is a great motivator to obedience. As we're preaching today, we're trying to do a little study. So let's read from Second Kings chapter seventeen and study how fear will help you in your obedience. Second Kings seventeen verse thirty four. Unto this day, they do after the former manners. They fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes, or after their ordinances, or after the law and commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, Ye shall not fear other gods, nor bow yourselves to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a stretched out arm, him shall ye fear, and him shall ye worship, there's our word for today, and to him. Show ye do sacrifice. Amen. It's a great motivator to uh, obedience and it is the everlasting gospel. When that angel in the book of Revelation preaches that everlasting gospel to everybody, fear is the, main, is the first thing he mentions. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Notice how fear and worship keep being mentioned together. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. All right, what is worship? It is listening. It is love. It is obedience. It is personal. Individual, it is believing, it is fear. I'll give you one more, we'll close. It is remembering. Look at verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said today, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. They were still calling it that in Moses' day. What they wanted to do? They wanted to remember some things. I'm afraid there's some Bible believing Baptists that have forgot some things that they need to remember. And they quit worshiping God because, I mean you know, I've got to make a living. Well, you know, these days everybody's on Snapchat. Well, these days you know, that's just not what everybody's into. And, you know, music has changed and times have changed and entertainment has changed and, hey, wait a minute, what about what God did in your life a few decades ago? How come you're not remembering that? How come you're able to adjust with everything? But let me tell you something, God doesn't adjust. Amen. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday and today and forever. And as you go through life and you see the ups and the downs and the back and the forth and the ebb and flow of life, you will be glad to anchor your soul to something that's steady and something that stays and something that does not change. Remember. Something about remembering that stirs somebody up. Peter, when he's getting ready to die, he's writing 2 Peter, that epistle that we have in the New Testament called 2 Peter. And he said, stir up your minds by way of remembrance. Sometimes we've gotten away from the Lord and we forgot His power and we forgot he did what He did for us and we forgot how much He loves us we forgot about some of the blessings He's given us and somebody reminds us of those things and it starts to bless our heart and the tears start rolling and somebody gets shouting, it ought to stir you up when you Remember. Yes. Remembering, to be stirred up. I'll tell you another thing. Remembering should be to help you teach young people. You know what Israel did? They First of all, Abraham names this place Jehovah-Jireh, so there will be a name that somebody can tell the young people, hey, God showed up here. Exodus chapter 13, And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? That thou shalt say unto him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. There ought to be some stuff you point to and bring up to the younger generation. God did something for us right there. I want you to know God had something to do with your family that you were being brought up in. And you need to know that. You need to remember that. And even if one of these days they go off and out into the world, they'll remember there's something that they need to come back to. There's a lot of people who don't even talk about it. They're just too busy. They're just too distracted. Remembering to be stirred up and to teach young people. I'll tell you something else. You need to remember because sometimes that's the first step to you repenting and getting back with God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. I've already referred to the church at Ephesus. Here's what he says to them after threatening them. He says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. You want the first thing he told Ephesus to do? Remember! Do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? Oh, yes. Do you remember how it felt to know that your sins were washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you remember how it felt to be in a church service and instead of just sitting through some talk you didn't really understand what was going on, all of a sudden God was talking to you out of that thing? (laughs) Do you remember what it felt like when you stepped into a place and you felt the Spirit of God there? And as they sang the old songs of Zion, you felt the Holy Spirit coming in there. Sometimes we've gotten away from the Lord and yeah, we're still saved, but we're so far out of fellowship with Him, we aren't feeling it anymore. Hey, maybe some of us need to remember we are fallen and repent and do the first works. First, remember. Second, repent. Do the first works. Remember and repent. There's you getting your relationship right. But the very next phrase is, and do the first works. There's going back to some rules. Relationship and rules in the Bible are inseparably connected. Yes, Because when you love the Lord, you want to do what pleases Him. And if you want to do which makes him mad and hurts his feelings all the time, don't tell me you love him. That just doesn't make sense to me. What if I tell Tom and Donna Ginrich I love them, but I bomb their house, bomb their car, insult their kids, and <laughs> kick their grandkids in the knee? They'd say, well, uh, uh, I don't really think you love us. <laughs> There's no way I can have a relationship with them and do that which hurts them all the time. They'd say, Brother Bob, I don't think you love me like you say. (laughs) But there's a bunch of Christians in this world telling me they love the Lord and constantly, purposely, knowingly breaking every rule He gives them. No, you don't. No, you don't. Worship is remembering. Sometimes the main thing to get some people busy and serious about worshiping God is for them to remember from whence they've fallen. Alright, what have we seen today? Because of the strong faith of Abraham, he's called the friend of God in James 2.23. And you'll have to admit, Abraham worshipped God and put him in the highest place of his life. Yes, Do you know anybody else could have possibly put the Lord in a higher place than Abraham puts God right here? He said, Lord, I'll give you everything. Even including myself." This doesn't mean Abraham was perfect, but I'll give him this. He was loyal to God above everything else. I'll I'll have to give him that. I can't can't question that. Now, how about you? Are you the friend of God? The old hymn says, I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed that thou mightst ransom me and pardon from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? Isn't that a convicting song? Yes, it is. What are your priorities in worship and in work and in play? Have you ever had a person, first of all, have you ever had a personal meeting with the God of the universe and trusted him to save your soul? Secondly, have you given him everything? Ah, now that's worship. The etymology of the word worship is worth-ship. We're thinking he's worth something. We're thinking he's worth more than anything else we got. That is worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to come and worship you today.